to the Harvard on China podcast at the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies. 欢迎来到费正清中国研究中心的哈佛论中国播客。The Fairbank Center is a world-leading center on China at Harvard University. Sino-Japanese relations are often portrayed as a rivalry hindered by historical grievances. Joshua Fogel, Tier One Canada Research Chair at York University Toronto, explores a different side of China's relationship with Japan. Fogel is the author of many books on Sino-Japanese relations, with his latest book, Japanese for Sinologists, forthcoming from University of California Press. I'm James Evans at the Fairbank Center's Harvard on China podcast, and I asked Joshua Fogel about his recent research on Kanzo Uchiyama, the founder of Shanghai's Uchiyama Bookstore and a close friend of Lu Xun. My name is Joshua Fogel. I am a Canada Research Chair and a professor of history at York University in Toronto. The main connection that I have with Harvard was when I was first a, a young junior faculty member, and I came and started teaching in the history department here in 1981 and left in 1988. So just walking across campus now, I'm, I'm both amazed by how the buildings never changed, but how Harvard Square has completely changed. So it's、um, it's very funny. So my first question is, who was Kanzo Uchiyama, and how did he end up in Shanghai? That's that's an interesting question.、Uh, Uchiyama was a、uh, very ordinary guy who dropped out of school, or may have been asked to drop out of school when he was 12 years old, and then had a number of assorted dead end jobs、uh, that would make Dickens novels seem like fantasy tales. He had a terrible life, and then finally he was wandering around and, and、uh, entered found, entered a church in.、Um, Kyoto, and after getting to know the pastor there, very sympathetic guy, converted to Christianity and got a good job. And the job entailed him selling medicine, eye medicine, door to door in the Lower Yangtze region of China. So he said, "I'll take it, I'll take it." And of course, he didn't know a word of Chinese. It's now about 1914 or 15, but he had unendingly optimistic view now of the world that had changed considerably from before. And he ended up traveling around the Lower Yangtze region, and then eventually he he would come back to Japan and get some more medicine and go back, and and he met his prospective wife, who also has a horror story behind her, but it was a happy ending again. They got married, and she moved back with him to Shanghai, where he was based. And、uh, it was she actually who was bored to tears, saying she knew not a word of Chinese either. And、um, he suggested, or maybe she suggested, it's unclear, that they start selling books. And so it's she that ran the bookstore for quite a long time. Which grew and grew, and, and like many converts to another religion that they're not born into, they were devout, and and really believed in it, and all the, the kind of things that people who are often born to the same religion do not or no longer pay attention to. But she and she and he were very much、uh, devoted to all the basic principles. Read the Bible every night together, things like that, and they opened their bookstore up to countless Chinese and visiting Japanese, and it became a salon、uh, for discussions between Chinese and Japanese from about 1916 right until the end of the war. And obviously, one of these patrons of the bookstore was Lu Xun, Lu Xun, among other. Oh yeah, Lu Xun. You know, he was the star, but there were many other、uh, superstars. He was a superstar, many other stars. Let's put it that way. In that firmament. He arrives in Shanghai after being in many different places, but finally comes to Shanghai in、um, the fall of 1927. And several days later, he knows the Dujiama Bookstore at this point is exceedingly well known, and goes into the bookstore a couple days later, and shortly thereafter meets Dujiama, and they hit it off, hit it off tremendously, and, be, and it soon becomes a place where he will go practically every day. 
In fact, when he doesn't show up, he only lives a stone's throw away. They would go, you know, they would send somebody over to make sure everything was okay. Lu Xun came and he had his own chair after a while. This was Lu Xun's chair, you know. And Lu Xun is sit there for hours and hours on end talking with people. Lu Xun, having spent many years in Japan, was completely fluent in Japanese. And Uchiyama by this point was probably fluent in Chinese too. So they just hit it off. And it's it, one of the things that is a big mystery to this friendship is the fact that here's Lu Xun on the one hand, perhaps China's most famous intellectual of this era, certainly one of the great, great intellectual stars of that period, and Uchiyama, who dropped out of school when he was 12. And yet they become extremely close friends, and they disagree on many things too, but it's okay. Friendship doesn't have to be based entirely, I learned, on agreement on every issue under the sun. And Uchiyama saved Lu Xun's life several times. It was a volatile period in Chinese-Japanese relations. So not only was Lu Xun an object of Japanese scrutiny, military scrutiny, but the Kuomintang and the various pro-Japanese elements among the Chinese were also, they assumed that he was just pro-communist. It's hard now for us to imagine that Lucian wasn't anything but the deified idol that he has become. But in the period, the communists made his life miserable, and the nationalists made his life miserable, and the Japanese made. So this was a place, the Uchiyama bookstore was a place of where he could come and relax. And he didn't have to fight all the battles of the Chinese press. And the left wing was probably even more tendentious. And he very much appreciated that when he would come there, they could have you know, meaningful intellectual discussions, even political discussions, but didn't necessarily have to end in a bloodbath. Friendship seems to bridge both as of intellectual and a yeah. literal saving of his life. Yes, it's what friends do for each other, you know. It's it's, it's an interesting commentary. I mean, I, th- this paper, as I'll describe it later, evolved out of a conference. The theme was friendship. And I was free to pick any period, literature, history, whatever, real characters, fictional ones. And I've always been curious about this, but I've never studied this particular friendship. But the answers are still a bit elusive to why they could be such such close friends. It's a very nice story. This is a time, of course, when China and Japan are heading towards total war. Despite that, the, the Japanese come in and pretty much destroy large sections of Shanghai while Lu Xun is living there in 1932. And he survives somehow. Gunfire blows through his apartment. And eventually, of course, he dies in 1936 of, uh, he smoked, he basically smoked himself to death. He was a chain smoker. Lu Xun's relationship to Japan and the Japanese, it's very intriguing. He had, he had not, a, a, not what you would take to be a stereotypical view for that period. Everybody knows how critical he was of the China, and this comes together uh, at that particular time. That doesn't mean that he supported Japan in the war or anything insane like that, but he did have a very um, distinctive view, shall we say. And, and this is also, I should say, a time when people could reduce discussions to topics that we don't really use anymore, like national character. Well, it sounds like both Lu Xun and Uchigama had very interesting views of each other's culture. That's exactly you know, right. China as it is, Uchigama's book. Uchiyama had, when he was about 50, he decided he could write a book. You know, not many 50-year-olds write their first book, and not many 50-year-olds who, who dropped out of school at age 12 are in any position. Of course, he spent his whole life, well, not his whole adult life, pretty much, selling books, reading books, talking with the, you know, the cream of the crop of China and Chinese and Japanese intellectuals. So he writes this book about China today. So he asked Lu Xun to write the introduction to the book. And the book is very much like, uh, you, you, you wrote it in Japanese, of course. You Japanese may think you know what, what China is like, but I've lived here all these years. He doesn't actually say that, but effectively, 
I've lived here all these years, and I know these people, and they're really good people, and they're they're warm, and they're this, and they're that, and they're all. And Lu Xun writes his introduction, and he said, you know, this man has lived in China many years. His views are not informed by just a, you know a trip down, up and down the Yangtze by boat or something silly like that. But I have to disagree with what he says. <laughs> so in this case, the Chinese were basically all AQ. I mean, they were all sort of making excuses for their failures and not facing up to their difficulty. And Uchiyama is saying, no, they're not like that. They're really good people and this. And so it's, it's very, very interesting. The world is much more complicated than reducing it to you know, one little one-liners, yeah. which, is, which is very heartwarming to me. Yeah. I mean, building off that, what, in your opinion, does this friendship tell us about sort of the broader Chinese-Japanese friendship, as it were, you know, which yeah. is being described as a sort of Lao Pongyo of He's, China. He still is a Lao Pongyo mm-hmm. of China, yeah. Um, he was, he was um, courted, you know, long after Lu Xun died and long after he was forcibly repatriated when the Guomindang took over Shanghai in the late 40s and he was sent home, his store was commandeered by the government. Um, and But once the communists came into power a couple of years later, he was brought back and he became head of the Sino-Japanese Friendship Association. You know, every country in the world has a, had a friendship association. So he was always being feted in his relationship to Lu Xun, and then they would trot out Lu Xun's wife, who was much younger and still alive for quite a period of time, and Lu Xun's son. Um, and um, so his relationship continued on with China in this, you know, they're a very small select group of La um, like Edgar Snow and, and uh, Annalise Strong, and a handful, a very small handful of others, but he was in that group. But I do think that, in answer more directly in answer to your question, that uh, reducing the, the Chinese-Japanese relationship to World War II is a dead end. It's not a. It's not. It's not the way to go. There were extraordinary friendships that trans, transcended. You know the horrors that were going on at the time. It, it does not mean that the Chinese-Japanese relationship has to go down in the flames of you know whatever the end of World War II or Nanjing Massacre or Hiroshima or something like that. That there are that there are things to build on. And and I think that's when when the Chinese government would say as they did about Edgar Snow or Uchiyama that you know. Uh, we don't like the government of the United States or, or Japan, but we love the people or something like that. You know, that's, you can see right through that. But on the other hand, there is something to that. Whether they meant it or not, I don't know. But there is something to that. There, there, there's no reason why um, China and Japan have to be enemies for, for all time. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I tend to be, untypically in my case, but I tend to be sanguine about that uh, cultural bond. Our final question that we ask everybody, what is the one thing that you would want our audience to take away about Kanzo Ujiyama. He's a perfect case example of the great possibilities for research, future research on Chinese-Japanese cultural ties right up through the war years. This last, I mean, Lu Xun died before the war became, before the Pacific War, and even indeed before Marco Polo Bridge incident. But uh, there was a, you know, ever since the, the attack on Shanghai and the Manchukuo governments is set up in, in northeast China. But that doesn't mean that cultural ties died. This is one of the points that one of my former teachers when I was an undergraduate in Chicago, Professor Udie, has always pointed out that you know culture can, cultural ties continued right up through the war years. The point I would like people to take away is that, that this is a very fecund, very rich area for, for scholarship. There is a, a cultural basis for the ties between China and Japan that, of course, doesn't exist between China, say, and Europe or North America. Um, and that's 
what's kept me busy for the last 35 years. So um, if people take that away, I'll be very pleased. Well, thank you so much.